Welcome back to Talk Green to Me. Today we have a follow-up to our discussion on rubber recycling. Tom Rosenmeyer, the founder of Silpera Technologies, has joined us for an interview. Okay, so today we have with us Tom Rosenmeyer from Silpera. Tom, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in the rubber recycling area? Well, sure. Hello, everybody, and uh, thanks for having me on. So I'm, I'm originally from St. Louis area, born and raised. Um, I got my uh, bachelor's degree in metallurgical engineering, actually, from University of Missouri, Rolla, which has a different name. Then I moved to Houston and worked in uh, on oil tools as a metallurgist for four years. And then I found myself um, in graduate school at Rice University, actually working on um, semiconductor metallizations. Um, so I got my PhD then at Rice, worked at IBM for a few years, worked at Gore for quite a while, for 16 years, and then found myself at the startup company, Lehigh Technologies here in, in the Atlanta area. And it was really the prospect of getting involved with a startup company and getting some equity and building a company that really, it wasn't that I chose the technology or necessarily chose to be involved with uh, with recycling. It was kind of the type of company I was looking for, and that happened to be what they did. <laughs> Great. So can you tell us more about your current company, Silpera Technologies, and what it does? Yeah, sure. So we started the company uh, two years ago, but I had this concept that dated back really 20 years, back when I was working on semiconductor materials. So I thought, why don't I take this um, technology that we develop for semiconductor thin films and see if I can apply it to a natural rubber latex? And this was an aqueous process. We had a particular type of silane that we're blending into a uh, PTFE nano emulsion, and it made a really good um, composite thin film. And then um, while I started, after I started working on tire rubber, I started learning more and more about the difficulties of mixing silica and natural rubber. Natural rubber is a very high molecular weight, nonpolar polymer, and silica is uh, agglomerates of uh, amorphous silica that's extremely polar. So these are two materials that do not want to be mixed, especially in solid state. It's like literally like mixing solid state oil and water, polar and nonpolar. They don't want to go together. And this causes process difficulties, but also a lot of performance issues. And so that's that's what we're doing. We had a National Science Foundation SBIR grant, uh, which has run a year. And now we're continuing to develop the money with or the, develop the company with uh, with private funds. For people who aren't familiar, listeners who aren't familiar with any of that, can you tell us a little bit more about rubber itself and how it's made and what's involved? Sure. Normally, rubber is made starting from an elastomeric polymer like polyisoprene in the case of natural rubber or or styrene butadiene copolymer rubber. These are all raw elastomers. And they're typically mixed with fillers. Historically, the fillers have been carbon black although more and more tires are being made with silica fillers because the silica get, provides better performance. And these, these fillers are there to, to reinforce the rubber. Also, what's mixed into the rubber are what, what's called a cure package. This consists of sulfur and a variety of complex chemicals that are called accelerators. So the rubber, after it's mis, mixed, is compression molded at about 150 to 160 degrees centigrade. And this is where the sulfur crosslinks form. Normally, the sulfur crosslinks would form extremely slowly and it would take hours and hours to cure the rubber. 
This is the original process developed by Goodyear 150 plus years ago. But these chemical accelerators that I mentioned make this cure process happen in a, in a matter of minutes. So this is how rubber became a really valuable industrial process that this accelerated vulcanization process could happen in a matter of minutes. And that's why people can make a billion tires a year in, in a reasonable amount of time. Um, so this mixing process where the, where the raw polymer and the fillers, it's, it's called an internal mixing process. Sometimes people know of it as a Banbury mixer. So it's, a, it's an enclosed mixing chamber with two rotors in it that uh, mixes, mixes the rubber. So this is done in the solid state where you've got these uh, raw polymers and these solid fillers. And, and what, we, what we've chose to do to, to be different, um, because we want to get better, more intimate mixing, we're basically taking the precursor to the silica, we're taking a silane, and we're compatibilizing it with some special chemistry that actually makes it able to be blended into a latex without coagulating the latex. So we get intimate blending of small molecules in a low viscosity liquid, which is a much more efficient mixing process than the traditional solid state uh, Banbury type of mixers. So that's essentially our difference. We've got a novel chemistry that allows us to, to mix very efficiently and um, get a very unique microstructure. We're forming a continuous silica network in the polymer, uh, which is very, it's a more efficient way to reinforce than using particles of filler to have a more continuous uh, silica structure. So is the end goal of Silpera still to make tires just with this better process? Well, kind of the end goal is to make money. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, but yes, what we, what we want to do is uh, right now, the tire companies of the world really would like to use more silica in combination with natural rubber, especially for truck tires. But if they do that now, they don't get the properties they want. So we're, what we're really trying to do is enable that. We're trying to develop some technology that is going to enable the tire manufacturers of the world to use more combinations of natural rubber and silica in tires where they're going to get the rolling resistance, which is directly correlated to fuel economy. But with tires, there's always a compromise in properties that in order to make a tire with low rolling resistance, in other words, a tire that's very fuel efficient, you end up sacrificing wear resistance. So the tire doesn't last very long. So you may have made the tire use less fuel, but you have to, you have to build more tires in order to get there. And so we're trying to make that compromise go away. We're trying to achieve good rolling resistance and good wear resistance in the same compound. So, you know, our value proposition is all around sustainability. That, that makes a lot of sense. Is there something particular about natural rubber that all of these tire companies want to go that way? How does natural versus synthetic differ and why are people choosing one over the other? Right, well, there's a, there's a couple of very important differences. Um, natural rubber really is preferred for a lot of applications because it has a property called strain crystallization. It has very high tensile strength, uh, has very good durability uh, compared to most um, synthetic rubbers. But it also has some limiting physical properties, and this is part of what we're working on. 
For example, with synthetic rubbers in the synthesis process, in the polymerization process, you can add functional groups. And typically these would be functional groups that might be carboxylic acid groups. And these functional groups allow you to get better bonding to fillers, especially in the case of silica. And this is why synthetic rubbers traditionally have an advantage when it comes to rolling resistance. I think most people are aware that when they drive their car, the tires heat up. Well, that heat is all wasted energy. It's internal friction uh, because there's not a strong bond between the fillers and the polymers. So you have literally molecular scale friction, which generates heat. So in a synthetic rubber, you can add these functional groups to bond to the silica and, and reduce that hysteresis and improve the rolling resistance. And in natural rubber, you really don't um, have that option. And so that's why we're, we're attacking it with our liquid blending technology to try to achieve uh, an improved physical interaction between the filler and the natural rubber. That's great. Yeah, I think that definitely makes sense. Just in terms of the, the sustainability standpoint, why is natural rubber better than synthetic? Well, it's not derived from petroleum, so it's, it's a renewable resource. Now, that depends a little bit because some of the agricultural processes that have been used historically for harvesting natural rubber are not so sustainable in and of themselves. Um, there's a loss of rainforest habitat because natural rubber is, is grown in the tropics, but assuming that you use um, sustainable agricultural practices, natural rubber is much more sustainable than synthetic rubber from a sourcing point of view. Now, where natural rubber has a sustainability disadvantage is what I measured before is in the rolling resistance. So this is where you have to be pretty careful in how you calculate sustainability. You really want to look at your carbon footprint over the entire life cycle of the tire. So if you use a sustainable material, such as sustainably sourced natural rubber, but that tire in use has worse fuel economy, you really are just moving the carbon around. Gotcha. Um, kind of shifting gears a little bit, I know that you had previously worked in rubber recycling. Um, could you kind of tell us a little bit about that? Yes, there's, there's several processes for rubber recycling. The most common process actually is that most tire rubber ends up being used as uh, it's burned for its fuel value. So this is not very sustainable, but it's how most tire rubber, roughly half of it is, is disposed of. It's really a low tech, but relatively convenient way to dispose of rubber because rubber, especially tires are very bad for landfills. Um, uh, the process we used at, Le at Lehigh was a, a lot more sophisticated. It was cryogenic grinding. So we would buy granulate, let's say chips of rubber that are about one centimeter. Then we freeze the granulate in liquid nitrogen. And then we drop it, essentially drop it into a turbine and it gets shattered into a very fine powder. That fine powder can be used in new tires. In fact, most of the major tire companies are using this type of powder in their in their tires as recycled content. And in fact, Michelin actually purchased Lehigh, as I mentioned a few years ago, because they really saw strategic advantages to the technology. Now, there are also other 
processes for rubber recycling. One that's very popular is pyrolysis. So the rubber is basically heated up um, to decompose into its base constituents. And essentially what you get out of the pyrolysis process is some gas, which is actually used to energize the process. But you also get, you also recover carbon black. You recover oil and materials like that that can then be then be reused in a, in a variety of different different industries. Another tire recycling process that is emerging but really hasn't taken off yet is called devulcanization. So in this case, what you're trying to do is take the vulcanized rubber and you're trying to break down the sulfur crosslinks to cr essentially create an unvulcanized rubber. And this sounds straightforward, but it's actually quite difficult. That's interesting. I didn't realize how many different ways you could recycle, and it seems like you get sort of different outputs from these different ways of recycling, and I assume there are different grades of tires? Yes, and, and you know, a given tire might have 10, 11, or 12 different rubber types of rubber compounds in that tire. So the tread, for example, for a passenger car tire, the tread will be a combination of styrene butadiene and butadiene rubber. The sidewall will be a combination of natural rubber and butadiene rubber. The body compounds, which, which form up a lot of the structure of the tire itself, might be mostly natural rubber. And then there's always an inner liner, which is a thin layer of rubber that actually serves as an kind of an integrated inner tube. It's one to two millimeters of rubber on the inside of the tire that's used for air retention. And that is a different kind of rubber called butyl rubber. And they use butyl because it has very low air permeation rates. So there's, every tire will have at least four different types of rubber polymers comprising 10, 11, 12 different formulated rubber compounds. There are, there are some people working on separation technologies, for example, working on with a water jet, you can kind of cut the tire up into, if, into different pieces and use the water jet to powderize the tire. But that has its own commercial challenges. It's not a very efficient process. Once you've made the tire and, and fused all these different rubber compounds together in the vulcanization process, it's really difficult to take, take that apart. So that limits really how you can, can use the materials. For example, with, with the product of my previous company, this cryogenically ground um, rubber powder, it's typically not used at more than 10% in the compound. So there's a limit to how much of it can be recycled. And that's why we spent so much time working on alternate uh, applications, alternate uses. One of the most common ones is rubber modified asphalt. So you can really improve the performance of asphalt pavement. You can modify those with the rubber and really improve the performance of asphalt. So that's a very common application. We have to develop these alternative applications for tire rubber because you can't put it all back into a tire. I wasn't sure whether any of the tire really got turned back into tire. Um, but it sounds like not too much of that really happens. In, Everybody's in terms working of... on it, but I mean, it's it's really hard. Technically, it's really hard to do. <laughs> in this area, are you seeing any kinds of like new technologies that are making this easier? You said something about separation. There are a lot of things being developed, and most of them, but most of them I can't talk about. <laughs> 
I can tell you that there's an awful lot of effort going on in the area. You know, we're, we're trying to solve the challenges associated with devulcanization, trying to devulcanize the, the rubber polymer without damaging the backbone so we can integrate it with uh, low hysteresis. Um, there's a lot of work going on in the pyrolysis area, and that's important for certain tires, like some of these mining tires that are used in these big um, open pit mines and, 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 um, and coal mines, they're unbelievably huge. And so they actually need to be recycled on site. So there's people developing processes for kind of doing on site uh, pyrolysis. So that's that's a very interesting technology that's. Uh, that makes sense. I've never thought about recycling like what what would be involved in gigantic tires. So I think that's fascinating, especially doing like on site recycling. That that's kind of wild and really cool. Um. So. So those are like the really, really giant tires. What about just like regular car tires? Is there any way like that I can take my tire to be recycled or would it be like whoever changes my tires out, the those companies are like sending the tires to be recycled? Yeah, so you're already paying for tire recycling. So when you when you buy a new set of tires, they take your old tires and on the invoice there's a state mandated tire disposal fee that is paid to somebody to come and collect the tires. And then those companies are supposed to dispose of the tires in an environmentally responsible manner. In other words, they chop them up and they send them to Lehigh for cryogenic grinding, or they chop them up and send them to pyrolysis, or they chop them up and they're used for, they go to a cement kiln where they're used as fuel as a replacement for coal. Um, now, not everybody follows the rules, and that's why occasionally you'll see in the news that somebody's discovered a, a tire dump out in the countryside somewhere. And so I think for the, for the general public, one of the things you probably can do is when you're deciding to buy a new set of tires and deciding where you're going to go, just ask who is doing the tire collection. And I think it's good for the retailers to know that the public is cognizant of the tire, of this tire recycling. And hopefully the answer is that it's done by a responsible company, such as uh, one, of, one of the companies we worked with over years called Liberty Tire Recycling. They're the largest tire recycler in the US and they're very responsible. And so the right answer is, oh, our tires are collected by somebody like Liberty. But if your tire dealer, retailer, can't give you a good answer, you might want to think about shopping somewhere else. And I, I think that's the best way for people to be involved because you're already paying for the recycling. You're already paying for the tires to be responsibly disposed of. I, but I think it's worth it to do a little due diligence and make sure that is actually happening because nobody wants their tires to end up in a dump. Yeah, I, I had no idea that tires just ended up in a dump somewhere so that's really it, good to it know it does happen you'll see it in the paper from time to time it's it's less and less uh, i think people are are more there's a lot of awareness out there sort of along those lines we've talked about like recycling what about like do you have any thoughts on used tires because i see those all the time where there'll be someone selling a bunch of yeah used tires and i'm like is the should i trust that these are good or like usable should i always get new ones 
Um, so, yeah, do you have any thoughts on the reuse of tires? Um, yeah, I don't buy them. <laughs> there's, there's, but there's a couple of real, there's a couple things to be careful of. Um, one is you don't know how old the tire is, and tires aren't designed to sit in the environment forever without degrading. They're susceptible to stress cracking. They're susceptible to UV damage. And this is actually one of the most common failure modes for trailer tires, because a lot of times trailer tires on somebody's boat trailer or RV, they don't get a lot of miles, but they might sit out in the sun for 10 years. And so you can get a lot of stress cracking. So one of the issues, now there are a lot of used tires, actually one of the most common methods, and I should have mentioned it earlier for tire recycling is actually retreading. Most truck tires in the US are retreaded four or five times actually. So a given carcass, assuming it's a carcass from a reputable company is engineered, that carcass is engineered to last a million miles. The tread won't last that long. So when the tread wears out, they'll carve off the old tread and, and mold new tread on the tire. So most truck tires are, are retreaded that way. And it's a very efficient and, and it's actually a good way to recycle the, the body of that tire, everything except for the, except for the tread. But with passenger car tires, they are not designed to be retreaded and they're not really designed to be sitting out in the environment for 10 years. You have to admit though, if, if somebody is wanting to change tires out for whatever reason and that tire still has plenty of tread depth on it and that tire is not more than five years old, it's probably perfectly safe. Um, so kind of just wrapping up, um, is there anything that you want our audience to know? And do you have a fun fact to end off with? A fun fact that I thought of, so it's kind of a joke I tell on myself that actually relates to my career in material science. You know how some people say that uh, people get softer as they get older? Well, it's, it's literally happened to me because I started my career in ceramics at Baker Hughes, then moved on to IBM and worked on metals, then moved to Gore and worked on plastics. And now here I am working on rubber. So literally I've gotten softer as I've gone over the years from ceramics to metals to plastics to rubber. So that's that's my fun fact. <laughs> that's, it's almost, like it's almost like the dad joke of material science, but <laughs> there you go. Well, very good. I think I've um, talked enough. No, this is no we, we really appreciate so your much. time and yeah thank you for kind of all the information um and yeah we we learned a lot i learned a lot today so much <laughs> this episode was edited and produced by manali Banerjee and nasreen khan music is by shang young please follow us on twitter and instagram at the hashtag tgtm podcast or email us at talkgreentomepodcast at gmail.com.